Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids, and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Marie Pridgen about her novels. After today, you will have heard about being encouraged to write children's books, taking advantage of the time you are given, even if it's unconventional, talking about your books wherever you are, taking advantage of the opportunities that come to you and knowing your strengths, and getting people to help you with things you're not the best with. Morag and the Land of Tirnanog Deep in the forest, there's a very secret place that mortals have heard of but only a rare few have ever ventured into. It is called Tirnanog, which means land of youth. It is a beautiful place where magic lives and happiness and health are abundant. It is said that if you listen very carefully, you can hear singing, dancing, music, and laughter. I remember about being awkward in bookstores. I go into... I think it was my daughter's birthday, and we always go to Build-A-Bear for her birthday, which is at the oh, yeah. mall. So we go to Build-A-Bear yeah. at the mall, and then we have to walk through Barnes & Noble to get to the Build-A-Bear. So we usually, every year on her birthday, <laughs> I buy books in Barnes & Noble. So right. I'm, like, there, and that was, like, after um, – and maybe this wasn't her birthday because it was, like, after the time I had started thinking about the series I'm currently researching – and so I go into yeah. this Barnes and Noble and I could not find the mythology section. I couldn't find it. So finally, I have to do the most awkward thing and go ask an employee where their mythology books are. <laughs> and so I go and I do this. And she was so sweet. She was so sweet. Oh. She was like, you know, what are you looking for? What are you wanting? And awkward me, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm an aspiring writer that <laughs> wants to like write on mythology. No, I'm like. I'm a podcaster and I need it for research because that's less awkward. I don't know. <laughs> she was so sweet, though. She sat down with me and she would, like, show me these books. And a lot of them I wanted, like, you know, legitimate. I mean, they're all, you know, stories or whatever. But I wanted more, like, legitimate original sources. And she's handing me a lot of, like, we've changed this story 50,000 times books. And I'm like, no, like, this doesn't work. <laughs> she was so patient, though, and so nice. And, like, we Aww. leave there. And I, I tell my husband, I'm like, I don't know why I wasn't, like, I'm trying to write a book about mythology. <laughs> Instead, I'm like, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. How long have you been doing the podcast, Freya? Uh, I started the first one in October of last year. So I started okay. narrating in September. And oh, let me take a drink. Sure. I started narrating in September. And I could only land nonfiction books. Like for the first yeah. month, that's all I would get. And I'm like, man, like, no shade to nonfiction books, but like they're not very fun to read. Right. <laughs> like, you know, the dream, the dream was to narrate fiction. So I'm like, well, yeah. clearly these fiction auditions I'm doing, I just must not be very good. So what's a way I could practice these yeah. fiction narrations? So I'm like, let's just start a podcast. Um, There's a bunch of people that said, you know, you could um, a lot of the training people will tell you to like essentially produce an entire public domain book like just record it practice it oh. edit it whatever for practice and i'm like well shoot if i'm going through that effort like i want someone else yeah. to hear it so podcast so i'm like all right so in beginning of october i start a podcast um admittedly the editing was awful acting wasn't really there either but i kept going yeah. Um, and so I actually stopped auditioning for fiction audiobooks altogether. I just yeah. like we're just going to focus on the podcast and the nonfiction that I keep. Obviously, I'm doing a yeah. good job because people keep hiring me. Right. Um, and then beginning of the year of this year rolls around. 
And I'm like, all right. I We went on vacation for Christmas. We were gone for a week. We come back. We're back like a week. And then we get COVID. And <sighs> then by like my voice starts to come back towards the end of January. And I'm like, we're going to start auditioning for fiction again because I don't want to do nonfiction. But you right. know, if those are going to hire me and pay me, I'll keep Why auditioning. Not? Yeah. Yes. So then I'm like, all right, so we're going to focus on like, we really want to land fiction. We've been doing this podcast for four months or two months, October, November, December, three months now, almost four by the end of January. And I'm like, all right, we're going to we're going to try this. And then at the end of January or beginning of February, somewhere in there, I get my first contract on a fiction book. And I'm like, yes. Oh. And of course, I keep going on this podcast at this time, my podcast, my daily podcast has 20 to 40 people a day listening to it. So wow. I'm like, this is crazy. And so I just keep going with that yeah. podcast. And now yes. I am like fully booked on fiction stuff, which I that love. Haven't auditioned for a nonfiction in months. So, oh, <laughs> so that that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And of course, at the beginning... Um, now I'm a little more picky because at the beginning it was like just audition yeah. for everything and see what yes. sticks. Like then you kind of yes. learn um, like one, just getting it under your belt of having actually produced one. It doesn't really matter what the book is at that point. Like you've just got one and now you can say I have one. Exactly. Um, but then, you know, as I started getting more and more and more, it was like, OK, now we need to be a little more picky because now we're having to like, you know, book far out into advance, like far in advance. Yes. And like I want to be working on stories that I want to read. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, that's kind of where now it's it's a lot of fantasy and romance and oh. um, like those kind of books. Um, yes. So, yeah, that is that is mostly now. In the last two weeks, I have done several books that I had never done before. I had a, a detective book that I narrated, ah. I ha and she was schizophrenic on top of oh. all of that. So I had to do these, these creepy, <laughs> the author was schizophrenic. So I'm like, I want to be respectful to the author. Like, I don't want to do creepy voices if that's not what is in her right. head in so her head. i'm like i don't want to be creepy and like that offend someone so i asked her what do your voices sound like and so yeah. she she told me and so that's what i did um and then i did the next book up was a romance but it was he <laughs> he was from a mafia family and he was oh. in the military and there was a murder so it was like all these things together <laughs> Oh, God. And then the one I'm working on now is a haunted house situation. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so now, now I'm like, cool. So now I'm having to listen through audiobooks that are like thriller horror to like figure out yeah. how these narrators, because I don't watch horror movies. Like it's not right. my preferred. So I'm like, <laughs> how do other narrators do it? Do it. Yes. Yes. That's so, great. The next one up is just normal. It is totally in my wheelhouse. <laughs> it is back to fantasy. <laughs> it is clean, so I won't get banned from TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> now I'm like, as I read, so I got banned. I knew at some point I was going to get because I had yeah. other narrator friends that had been banned for violence in their case. Because um, the book was a violent, actually, I think bullying right. and violence she got banned for at different oh. points. Um, so I'm like, I know it's going to happen, but where is that sweet spot? Like, what is going right. to trigger the ban? Yes. Um, now I know. So now as I read through, I'm like flagging, like, these chapters are safe. These ones are not. You got to do those on Discord. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's, oh, and of that's course, hilarious. Discord is, I, I don't know if you know how that works, but you have to be invited to someone's Discord. And so if, like, the first couple days I did it on Discord, like, I talked about it, like, I'm going live on Discord on TikTok, but then, like, no one showed up. So I'm yeah, yeah. talking to myself, basically. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> or, like, TikTok, you get all kinds of people that show up to those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it is interesting um the things yes. that you have to learn and I'm like 
I don't technically I'm like in the millennial generation, but I feel like keeping up with social media was not my <laughs> gift. So I'm just like, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, goodness. So That's what are you funny. doing? Because I met you on TikTok. What are right. you doing to like you're talking about the books on TikTok? I've seen yes. that. Um, what yes. else are you doing to kind of get the word out there at this point? At this point, you know, um, because I work in a in a dental practice, and so I talk to the patients about the books and stuff like that. And um, I've gone through a few cons, but I myself, um, it's been it's been difficult for me because I work so much. Mm-hmm. And um, now in the next month or so, I'm going to have a kidney transplant. Oh goodness! Yeah, and so I'll be out of sorts for about three months after that. But once I'm through, I thought, you know what, I've got to start hitting the pavement. I've got to start getting out there because I really believe in my books. And I mm-hmm. really believe that, you know, they are good books. They're great children books. Um, so I myself have to kind of get out there. It, this is so new to me, Freya. I, I just, you know, it's like, how do, how do people get their books on, on, on the list or the good reads? Or how do you, how do you, so for me, I'm going to have to do a lot more research. I've mm-hmm. kind of left it up to the publishers, in a sense, to get the, the word out there. But um, it, that's been okay. I have done most of the pub, of the um, advertising myself because mm-hmm. I send my friends in notes in Ireland and say, okay, the book's coming out and so and so. So I pretty much have done all of that aspect. I just feel like. I'm, I'm, I'm not just something that I'm just maybe not doing enough of mm-hmm. um, to get the book out there. Cause I would love eventually, of course it's everybody's dream, you know, but eventually I'd love to go national with my books. I would love to go national with them, mm-hmm. but that's everybody's dream, you know? Right. Um, you know, and so. Be big um, and famous and have movies or TV made about your books. <laughs> books. Yeah, who doesn't want that? that that's a fantasy <laughs> by itself. Yeah. So I just need to get out there, I think, and uh, maybe do a lot more, a little bit more research um, on how to promote the books, how to get them out there. You know, I feel like there's got to be groups on Facebook specific to children's authors. Yeah, maybe. Um, I know there are for like romance and other genres. I imagine right. children's has its. There own are. Thing. There's a couple of gr- uh, uh, groups that I'm in, um, but. You really don't get much traction there. Um, you know, they'll see your book and they'll like it or not, and then it goes away. And so... Um, I mean, like, writer's advice groups, like how they are promoting and stuff, not... Oh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, not I reading groups. Not re- actually. Yeah, and, and probably need to look that up. I really need to... to that's a good idea. I imagine it's a lot of... That. I'm just, like, thinking myself, though. I imagine for kids it would have to be a lot of going to the bookstores and doing live reading events right and i and i i probably and i thought about maybe doing some author days you know in the bookstores that they would allow me to do some Mm -hmm. author days you know come in and um and have book signing and have an author day and read to the children and all that you know and so um i am thinking about doing that Um, Mm -hmm. um i'm in a small little community right now so um that's kind of hard but um I'm thinking I'm just gonna have to reach out and go a little further than where I am right now right just reach every bookstore within an hour of where I'm located (laughs) something (laughs) something like that I mean I know I talked to one author who's in England and she was like you know her dream is to be able to come over here and do a book tour in the U.S. right like well, that'd be cool, but like right now she does events and stuff. She actually goes to like farmers markets and stuff around where she is and sets up a booth for her book. Um Oh, very good. Yeah. So, you know, even things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I'm in Texas. The farmers markets here, I don't know that I see things like that, but I know like my mother-in-law who's in Missouri does like events for um, she does stained glass, and so she'll do like craft oh, fairs and stuff. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, around here where I'm, there's not much of that. Um, 
but um, you know, I I might consider maybe going for traveling a little further out, you know, mm-hmm. just to get the word out about the books. And that's what it's all about. It's just getting and sometimes it's just word of mouth, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's showing up to events. Sometimes, like we, like I said, we did the cons, stuff like that. Um, but with the cons, it's it's more for uh more fantasy, not really a children's. Yeah. You know, it's more for fantasy of mid to teenage on up. But mm-hmm. for children, uh, cons aren't really the place for, for children's books. Because you can see, you know, they're just more geared to young fantasy and all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah, that would be more like scholastic book fair and like those yeah. kind of things, which exactly. I, I think you have. I have no idea. I imagine that you'd have to be a scholastic author to be at the scholastic book fair. Right. <laughs> I don't and I don't know how, <laughs> no idea how you get in with those guys. But... Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like how do I get signed with a big 5 publisher? Eh. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that would be oh, not be fabulous. That would be fabulous. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's just dreams that you have and um, hopefully someday might somebody might take notice of your book and say mm-hmm. oh wait a minute you know that's that's a nice book for children you know so it just depends on who's out there who sees it you know it's, it's just kind of look at the draw really right mm-hmm. well and it's a lot of you need to advertise to the parents of kids yes not because yes. like I know when, like, when I started narrating, I'm, like, Googling what social media platform are the most authors on because who do I need to be communicating with? The authors right. that are going right. to hire me. Um, exactly. And also as, like, someone who's kind of written for my entire life, I'd write, you know, a couple pages or a chapter yeah. and then give up on that idea or not <laughs> be able to make it into a full book. You cannot yeah. make a full book based on one chapter of content. <laughs> but... Like the thing that I found was like Twitter, but there's not really a mm-hmm. kid's Twitter. No. All of them are you have to be over 13, I think, yeah. for most social. Not that under 13 don't get on there. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> YouTube, yes. maybe kids scrolling through YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> And there's plenty of them on YouTube. Yeah. It's just trying to find that, like you said, that sweet spot, you know, um, trying that. So it's, you know, it's been a challenge, um, but um, it's been it's been a great experience, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's rewarding, you know, when when somebody picks up your book and goes, oh, I loved your book. I mean, I've had ladies that were a lot older in their 70s say, you know what? I really enjoyed your book. It was so cute. It was just perfect. And when somebody that age, you know, liked your book, I think, oh, wow. All right, then, you know. Well, hey, so, that's like, you know, good grandma age range, buying it for their grandkids. Yes. I guess that's a good group. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so it's just, like you said, trying to find that sweet spot and trying to get the book out there. And, of course, the more people that know about it, the right. better for you, you know. So. so. What kind of advice do you have for, because you're my first children's author that I've talked to, what kind of advice do you have for anyone thinking about writing a children's book? Well, I think, you know, um, make sure that when you are thinking about the book itself, um, of course, it has to be geared right to the children. You have to be able to um, kind of get down into their level and, um and be able to speak a language that they would understand, you mm-hmm. know. And then, you know, find a really good publishing company that um, is out there for you, you know, that's going to really help you get your book out there. Mm-hmm. Illustrator is very important. Your illustrator is exceptionally important because you might be writing a story. Children are very visual. Mm-hmm. They look at more, they don't look at the writing. They look at the actual illustrations. Mm-hmm. And that's what captures them in that book, you know. Right. So whoever you get to to illustrate your book, they have to be in tune with you, the author, because mm-hmm. you're telling a story and you want your vision in that book, not their vision, but your vision. Right. Because someone can draw all day long, but if they're drawing something that does not connect 
you with your book, then it's just a waste of time. Right. You have to find somebody that listens to you, that pays attention to detail. That's very mm-hmm. important, the detail, and then can bring your story to life. So even if you, and I would maybe audition a few um, illustrators mm-hmm. and see which ones are suited, more suited to you and your type of illustration that you want. Right. So it's the same as like when you're picking an audiobook narrator, you want exactly. the person that it's best for the job. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's very important, yeah. Okay, and then, now I imagine you could also do, because like I've had, um, well, my husband drew my initial podcast logo for the fiction one. Yeah. I, I drew a very terrible stick figure drawing that he understood what I, I wanted based <laughs> off of that. But then we actually hired, um, last month I was like, okay, we need to like, you know, professionalize this at right. this point. So I actually went to Fiverr and had um, oh. a Fiverr artist do, yeah. who did a gorgeous job. I love, oh. now the one for this podcast, I did that myself. <laughs> and it's kind of the like the logo like my idea was like have this book with all these fairy tale things falling like you you've got the book turned upside down and you're like shaking it and these things are falling out so there's like the slipper and a frog and like those kind of things um so I did that one myself in Canva but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like I mean you could still self-publish but for children's books yeah if you're really trying to learn the ropes and figure it out. I feel like publishers, not the only way you could go, but probably the easiest way to go. The easiest way to go, yes. So how did you find Um, yours? Well, what happened was I had self-published, right? Right. And so I I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right. pages that were empty. (laughs) So I brought the book to work one day and this patient came in. And I had my book sitting on the table in the reception area. So she picks up my book and she goes, Marie, did you write that book? I said, I did. She said, the illustrations were phenomenal. She said, um, who, who's your publisher? I said, the publisher? Oh, no. I said, I said, publisher. I don't think anybody would be interested. She goes, well, I know of a publishing company that might be interested in you. She says, here's the number. She's called them. So six months go by. <laughs> and call them right oh god i can't do this so she comes back in every six months she comes back and she says did you ever get in contact with uh, that publisher i said oh no you know how i am i said i'm very shy she said you're gonna have to marie this book is so cute so i called them met with them and they said what is the one thing you would like to change i said the whole bloody book I said, I want the whole cover change because they, when I published, they had my name in big writing in the front. I didn't, I was like, oh my God, it's just like, it's about you, Marie, and not really about the book. Right. So he, they just changed everything in that book, the cover, the, the layout. It was the layout of that book that really needed, really needed attention. And so they just did a beautiful layout on it, beautiful cover. And it was it was fantastic. They did a most fantastic job. Yeah. Okay. So I got so, very I was very fortunate. Yeah, and that's I've heard I've had authors that it went the other way, where like they weren't happy with their cover that the publisher did. <laughs> so, I mean, it yeah. it kind of you really have to find that like one that gets yes. you, or like yes. me, I'm writing grown up books. Yes. Um, but I'm like, for me, I'm like, I don't want any publisher to be able to tell me. And the same reason I'm not trying to join any podcast networks is like, I want right. to be able to do what I want to do exactly. and not have someone tell me I can't do it. But you know, for exactly. kids books, you're not writing any content that or yes. you shouldn't be writing any content right. in a kid's book. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, you know, they they gave me um, full access to what I wanted. They said, OK. Tell me what you want in the front of the book. And I did that. And um, they did an excellent job. They gave me um, the right to pick what I wanted because, after all, you know, it was my book. Mm-hmm. And they did this, in the second one as well, they allowed me to pick the cover and how I want it displayed. And so I'm very fortunate with them that way. They're very accommodating that way. Mm-hmm. That's good. Now, yeah, they might suggest something, you know. Right. But, and, <laughs> 
And you might say, well, listen, I think this, but it's up to you. It's what you want. It's your book. And, right. you know, so I love that about them. And so they kind of gave you that um, freedom to do that, which is great. So you did the initial formatting and stuff on your own with yes, the first one? I did. Don't recommend that. <laughs> Don't recommend that. Uh, unless you are, <laughs> unless you are someone that as computer savvy, let's right. say. And can, um, you know, can do all that stuff. I, I, at that point, when I was trying, I, luckily I could open up a computer, you know. So um, I, for me, that's not computer great. I would say um, I would definitely go with publisher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even, I know I've had a couple authors that they hired um, people on Fiverr, that that's yeah, like what they yeah, do is do format mm-hmm. books. But formatting... <laughs> You know, a YA or an adult book is different from formatting a children's book because you've got the big pictures that have to be where like in an adult book, you might have like, you know, the line breaks are going to be fancy drawings or whatever, but you're not going to have a whole lot of pictures. Maybe maybe a map if it's a fantasy book and you've got this world you're trying to illustrate. But (laughs) that's usually, you know, in the front or the back of the book and then you're not going to see it again. Exactly. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. But a children's book is right there. I mean, it's yeah. right there. And so it has to be exactly formatted correctly to fit the page, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. So you really have to have someone who knows what they're doing, because if not, like, it just, it's bad. It's, it's bad. <laughs> so I guess you won't really have tips for getting in with publishers since yours, you kind of got yours given to you, sort of. <laughs> It was kind of like handed to me in a mm-hmm. sense. And um, this publishing company, you know, they didn't require any payment up front or anything. Yeah, I've heard that is and scammy. So, <laughs> yeah. But I've been with them now two years. And they're they they never required any money up front or anything. They're um they're very good. And and I think too, it could be because they're veterans. They're both veterans, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to give back, I guess, to their community as well. Mm-hmm. And they, they really want to help the they really want to help authors to get off the ground and get their books out there. And so I've been very fortunate to have found um, the Jumpmaster Press group. They're really very, very good. And so do they do like do they have a lot of authors? That, I know you said they had they other do. authors. They do. They have several authors. Um, they're all into the fantasy world, you know, and, and they've signed um, several people as well. Um, so they're they're a very good, um, very good um, publishing company. And, and they give you a lot of advice. And if you have any questions, you just ring them, email and they get back to you. And and they don't now they don't say to you like I want this done in six weeks I want this done in a month Mm -hmm. it's when you're ready I'll have your book there's no deadlines as such which could be good and bad depending on which is good and bad right in my case it's good You know, there's no deadlines. Right. Um, but, um, and, and like you said, sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you'd you like to have maybe a deadline to, to really force you to get it done quicker. Right. You know? And, um, but for me, I mean, because I, I love writing the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, I met with the illustrator last week. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a love for me. I love it. I mm-hmm. love being able to write and not have that pressure behind me and yet um, still have, you know, um, still have the book out by the end of the year. So mm-hmm. I know where my, for me, I set my own goals. For me, I set my own deadline. You know? Right. Um, so, and I know I want it done at this and how I want it done. So for me, I'll have the third book um, done probably at the end of November of this year. Okay. And I'll have the opportunity because I'm going to be at home, you know, for three months. Right. <laughs> I'm able to do anything. So, um, so it'll be like have- when you did book one. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Now book one will finish book three. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do have other aspirations, other things I would like to do as well. So, and I think you and I have talked about that. 
Yep, yep. I'm going to have to pick up a couple of your book or, you know, copy of your books for my daughter because I think she'd like oh, the, the fairies and, and the stuff yeah. like that. She uh, right now we're working through Harry Potter, but she loves oh, yes. like dragons and just stories oh, in general. Yes. Um, but especially like eat with picture books, she'll be like she, she can read. I mean, she's seven, but she'll still like just look at the pictures and like make up her own yeah. story with these pictures. Oh. Um, and she tells me and my husband now, like, I'm going to be a writer when because my husband's also writing a book. So like both of us are. Oh, is he? Um, yes. yes. <laughs> so she's like, you know, when I want to when I grow up, I want to you know write a book and I want to like narrate audiobooks. And I want to like do all the things oh. that we do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's always something that um, I remember reading since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and like, I just think it's something important for kids. Like it's like, even if it's a chapter a day, just like being immersed in a yes. story yes i feel like it's so important for any kid growing up oh, absolutely um, it is yeah and i mean each kid's gonna have their you know it may not be dragons and right. it may not be magic that your kid likes right. but there's gonna be something that your kid likes right. um right. take them like we do with our daughter take them set them loose in the children's section let them pick what book yes. looks good to you exactly. and then go from there so no, uh, we read very true i think technically harry potter's geared a little bit older than seven mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. she likes it so far yeah. we were reading a different series and it got a little scary for her so she oh. um, wanted to take a break and wait till break. she's a little bit older for that one <laughs> <laughs> which i'm like it's fine it had like this creepy witch in the woods and she just didn't well and of course i'm doing this creepy witch voice <laughs> she's like it's scary mommy i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> but in, in our house you get you know the full production of the voices and yeah. stuff yes. with it so <laughs> I was just thinking, oh my god! <laughs> She's, at one point, she had like a blanket pulled over her head, and I'm like, "Uh oh, <laughs> mommy got a little too creepy with the creepy yeah. witch voice." <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my goodness! That is that is what we do in our house, but she does have a lot of like the um. Doll, what is his name? Rob Doll, Ron Doll, books. Um, mm -hmm. He does like rewrites on uh, on fairy tales and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, it's D A H L E, I think. I can't remember what his first name is. Um, she has like that <laughs> series of books. We have like the Magic Tree House. Oh, yeah. at least a collection of those. I have no idea <laughs> how many of those there actually are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we try to keep like, you know, every year at Christmas, she gets some age appropriate series so that we can read through Very during good. the year. That's so brilliant. I'm glad to do that. That's, that's really good. And the interest of love of reading is mm -hmm. so, important, you know, so that's great that you do that for her. It's, it's actually a wonderful gift that you're giving her. Yeah, I'd come across that in a parenting group at one point for Christmas, do like something to wear, something to read, and then like something that they want for fun or whatever, right. being like, right. you know, the main oh. parts of this Christmas present. So yeah. I'm like, okay, so that's kind of, now she gets more than three things for Christmas, but we always make sure there's something new, yes. some new outfit yes. and some new book series. Oh. And then, you know, whatever yes. big fun thing. This year, it was a surprise for her, but she loves what she got. <laughs> Um, yeah. But it was like, you never know what you're getting for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she would enjoy the fairy books that you've written. So I'll oh, have, to, thank you so much. have to pick them up and you need to get yourself into some bookstores. <laughs> I do. Uh, you're right. I just, I've got to do that. You know, uh, yeah, I got to do that. And I need to do that. Really, I need to do that. So I'm going to... Um, put my big girl panties on and do that. <laughs> I want to say thank you so much for coming oh, on today. You're so kind. Thank you, Freya. I really enjoyed talking with you. You are a pleasure. You've met this so easy. It was comfortable. It was lovely. It was a great experience. Thank you so much. No problem. And you you have make one step, do one thing to help yes. you. <laughs> Yes, I will. <laughs> I will. I will see you around TikTok. You have a good yes, day. Yes, you will. All right, friend. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Marie also loved the story of the wooing of Beck Fulla that her grandmother would tell her. 
The Wooing of Beck Fola is a story included in Irish fairy tales, which is a retelling of ten Irish folk tales by the Irish author James Stevens. The English illustrator Arthur Rackham provided interior artwork, including numerous black and white illustrations and 16 color plates. The stories are set in a wooded medieval Ireland filled with larger-than-life hunters, warriors, kings, and fairies. Many stories concern the Fiona and their captain, Fionn Mac Eol, from the Fenian cycle of Irish mythology. The book was first published by Macmillan and Company in 1920 and is one of Stevens's better-known works. Don't forget, we're reading Le Mort d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the Round Table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Wooing of Beckfola Chapter 1 We do not know where Beckfola came from, nor do we know for certain where she went to. We do not even know her real name. For the name Beckfola... Dowerless or small dowered was given to her as a nickname. This only is certain, that she disappeared from the world we know of, and that she went to a realm where even conjecture may not follow her. It happened in the days when Dermod, son of the famous Eye of Slain, was monarch of all Ireland. He was unmarried, but he had many foster sons, Princes from the four provinces who were sent by their fathers as tokens of loyalty and affection to the Ardri, and his duties as a foster father were righteously acquitted. Among the young princes of his household there was one, Crimthan, son of Ai, king of Leinster, whom the high king preferred to the others over whom he held fatherly sway. Nor was this wonderful, for the lad loved him also, and was as eager and intelligent and modest as becomes a prince— the High King and Crimthan would often set out from Terra to hunt and hawk, sometimes unaccompanied even by a servant. And on these excursions the king imparted to his foster son his own wide knowledge of forest craft, and advised him generally as to the bearing and duties of a prince, the conduct of a court, and the care of a people. Dermot Mac I delighted in these solitary adventures, and when he could steal a day from policy and affairs, he would send word privately to Crimthan. The boy, having donned his hunting gear, would join the king at a place arranged between them, and then they ranged abroad as chance might direct. On one of these adventures, as they searched a flooded river to find the ford, they saw a solitary woman in a chariot driving from the west. I wonder what that means, the king exclaimed thoughtfully. Why should you wonder at a woman in a chariot? His companion inquired, for Crimthan loved and would have knowledge. Good, my treasure, Dermot answered. Our minds are astonished when we see a woman able to drive a cow to pasture, for it has always seemed to us that they do not drive well. Crimthan absorbed instruction like a sponge and digested it as rapidly. I think that is justly said, he agreed. But... Dermot continued, when we see a woman driving a chariot of two horses, then we are amazed indeed. When the machinery of anything is explained to us, we grow interested as Crimthan became, by instruction as astonished as the king was. In good truth, said he, the woman is driving two horses. Had you not observed it before, his master asked with kindly malice, I had observed, but not noticed, the young man admitted. Further, said the king, surmise is aroused in us when we discover a woman far from a house, for you will have both observed and noticed that women are home dwellers, and that a house without a woman or a woman without a house are imperfect objects, and although they be but half observed, they are noticed on the double. There's no doubting it, the prince answered from a knitted and thought-tormented brow. We shall ask this woman for information about herself, said the king decidedly. Let us do so, his ward agreed. The king's majesty uses words we and us when referring to the king's majesty, said Dermid. But princes who do not yet rule territories must use another form of speech when referring to themselves. I'm very thoughtless, said Crimthan humbly. The king kissed him on both cheeks. Indeed, my dear heart and my son, we are not scolding you, but you must try not to look so terribly thoughtful when you think. It is part of the art of a ruler. 
I shall never master that hard art, lamented his fosterling. We must all master it, Dermot replied. We may think with our minds and with our tongues, but we should never think with our noses and with our eyebrows. The woman in the chariot had drawn nigh to the ford by which they were standing, and without pause she swung her steeds into the shallows and came across the river in a tumult of foam and spray. Does she not drive well? cried Crimthan admiringly. When you are older, the king counseled him, you will admire that which is truly admirable, for although the driving is good, the lady is better. He continued with enthusiasm. She is in truth a wonder of the world and an endless delight to the eye. She was all that and more. And as she took the horses through the river and lifted them up the bank, her flying hair and parted lips and all the young strength and grace of her body went into the king's eye and could not easily come out again. Nevertheless, it was upon his ward that the lady's gaze rested, and if the king could scarcely look away from her, she could, but only with an equal effort, look away from Crimthan. Halt there, cried the king. Whom should I halt for? the lady demanded halting all the same, as is the manner of women, who rebel against command and yet receive it. Halt for Dermid. There are Dermids and Dermids in this world, she quoted. There is yet but one Ardri, the monarch answered. She then descended from the chariot and made her reverence. I wish to know your name, said he. But at this demand, the lady frowned and answered decidedly. I do not wish to tell it. I wish to know also where you come from and to what place you are going. I do not wish to tell any of these things. Nod to the king. I do not wish to tell them to anyone. Crimthan was scandalized. Lady, he pleaded, you will surely not withhold information from the Ardri. But the lady stared as royally on the high king as the high king did on her. And whatever it was he saw in those lovely eyes, the king did not insist. He drew Crimthan apart, for he withheld no instruction from that lad. My heart, he said, we must always try to act wisely, and we should only insist on receiving answers to questions in which we are personally concerned. Crimthan imbibed all the justice of that remark. Thus, I do not really require to know this lady's name, nor do I care from what direction she comes. You do not? Crimthan asked. No, but what I do wish to know is, will she marry me? But my hand, that is a notable question, his companion stammered. It is a question that must be answered, the king cried triumphantly. But, he continued, to learn what woman she is, or where she comes from, might bring us torment as well as information. Who knows in what adventures the past has engaged her? and he stared for a profound moment on disturbing sinister horizons, and Crimthan meditated there with him. The past is hers, he concluded, but the future is ours, and we shall only demand that which is pertinent to the future. He returned to the lady. We wish you to be our wife, he said, and he gazed on her benevolently and firmly and carefully when he said that, so that her regard could not stray otherwhere. Yet even as he looked, a tear did well into those lovely eyes, and behind her brow a thought moved of the beautiful boy who was looking at her from the king's side. But when the High King of Ireland asks us to marry him, we do not refuse, for it is not a thing that we shall be asked to do every day in the week, and there is no woman in the world that would love to rule it in Terra. No second tear crept on the lady's lashes, and with her hand in the king's hand they paced together towards the palace, while behind them, in melancholy mood, Crimthan Mac I led the horses and the chariot. Chapter 2 They were married in haste, which equaled the king's desire, and as he did not again ask her name, and as she did not volunteer to give it, and as she brought no dowry to her husband and received none from him, she was called Beckfola the dowerless, Time passed, and the king's happiness was as great as his expectation of it had promised. But on the part of Beckfola, no similar tidings can be given. There are those whose happiness lies in ambition and station, and as such a one, the fact of being queen to the High King of Ireland is a satisfaction at which desire is sated. 
but the mind of Beckfola was not of this temperate quality, and lacking Crimthan, it seemed to her that she possessed nothing. For to her mind, he was the sunlight in the sun, the brightness in the moonbeam. He was the savor in fruit and the taste in honey. And when she looked from Crimthan to the king, she could not but consider that the right man was in the wrong place. She thought that crowned only with his curls, Crimthan Mac Eye was more nobly diademed than are the masters of the world. And she told him so. His terror on hearing this unexpected news was so great that he meditated immediately flight from Terra. But when a thing has been uttered once, it is easier said the second time, and on the third repetition it is patiently listened to. After no great delay, Crimthan Mac I agreed and arranged that he and Beckfola should fly from Terra, and it was part of their understanding that they should live happily ever after. One morning, when not even a bird was astir, the king felt that his dear companion was rising. He looked with one eye at the light that stole grayly through the window, and recognized that it could not in justice be called light. There is not even a bird up, he murmured. And then to Beckfola, what is the early rising for, dear heart? An engagement I have, she replied. This is not a time for engagements, said the calm monarch. Let it be so, she replied, and she dressed rapidly. And what is the engagement? he pursued. Ray meant that I left at a certain place and must have. Eight silken smocks embroidered with gold, eight precious brooches of beaten gold, three diadems of pure gold. At this hour, said the patient king, the bed is better than the road. Let it be so, said she. And moreover, he continued, a Sunday journey brings bad luck. Let the luck come that will come, she answered. To keep a cat from cream or a woman from her gear is not work for a king, said the monarch severely. The Ard Ree could look on all things with composure and regard all beings with a tranquil eye. But it should be known that there was one deed entirely hateful to him, and he would punish its commission with the very last rigor. This was a transgression of the Sunday. During six days of the week, all that could happen might happen so far as Dermid was concerned. But on the seventh day, nothing should happen at all if the High King could restrain it. Had it been possible, he would have tethered the birds to their own green branches on that day, and forbidden the clouds to pack the upper world with stir and color. These the king permitted, with a tight lip, perhaps, but all else that came under his hand felt his control— it was his custom when he arose on the morn of Sunday to climb to the most elevated point of Terra and gaze thence on every side, so that he might see if any fairies or people of the she were disporting themselves in his lordship, for he absolutely prohibited the usage of the earth to these beings on the Sunday, and woe's worth was it for the sweet being he discovered breaking his law. We do not know what ill he could do to the fairies, but during Dermid's reign, the world said its prayers on Sunday, and the she-folk stayed in their hills. It may be imagined, therefore, with what wrath he saw his wife's preparations for her journey. But although a king can do everything, what can a husband do? He rearranged himself for slumber. I am no party to this untimely journey, he said angrily. Let it be so, said Beckfola. She left the palace with one maid, and as she crossed the doorway, something happened to her. But by what means it happened would be hard to tell, for in the one pace she passed out of the palace and out of the world, and the second step she trod was in fairy. But she did not know this. Her intention was to go to Cluan de Chilac to meet Crimthan. But when she left the palace, she did not remember Crimthan anymore. To her eye and to the eye of her maid. The world was as it always had been, and the landmarks they knew were about them. But the object for which they were traveling was different, although unknown, and the people they passed on the roads were unknown, and were yet people that they knew. They set out southwards from Terra into the Duffery of Leinster, and after some time they came into wild country and went astray. At last Beckfola halted, saying, I do not know where we are. The maid replied that she also did not know. Yet, said Beckfola, if we continue to walk straight on, we shall arrive somewhere. 
they went on, and the maid watered the road with her tears. Night drew them on, a gray chill, a gray silence, and they were enveloped in that chill and silence, and they began to go in expectation and terror, for they both knew and did not know that which they were bound for. As they toiled desolately up the rustling and whispering side of a low hill, the maid chanced to look back, and when she looked back, she screamed and pointed and clung to Beckfulla's arm. Beckfulla followed this pointing finger and saw below a large mass that moved jerkily forward. Wolves! cried the maid. She looked with angry woe at the straining and snarling horde below. Run to the trees yonder, her mistress ordered. We will climb them and sit among the branches. They ran then, the maid moaning and lamenting all the while. I cannot climb a tree, she sobbed. I shall be eaten by the wolves. And that was true. But her mistress climbed a tree and drew by a hand's breath from the wrap and snap and slaver of those steel jaws. Then sitting on a branch, she looked with angry woe at the straining and snarling horde below, seeing many a white fang in those grinning jowls and the smoldering red blink of those leaping and prowling eyes. Chapter 3 But after some time, the moon arose and the wolves went away. For their leader, a sagacious and crafty chief, declared that as long as they remained where they were, the lady would remain where she was. And so, with a hearty curse on trees, the troop departed. Beckfulla had pains in her legs from the way she had wrapped them about the branch, but there was no part of her that did not ache for a lady does not sit with any ease upon a tree. For some time she did not care to come down from the branch. Those wolves may return, she said, for their chief is crafty and sagacious, and it is certain from the look I caught in his eye as he departed that he would rather taste of me than any other woman he has met. She looked carefully in every direction to see if she might discover them in hiding. She looked closely and lingeringly at the shadows under the distant trees, to see if these shadows moved, and she listened on every wind to try if she could distinguish a yap or a yawn or a sneeze. But she saw or heard nothing, and little by little tranquility crept into her mind, and she began to consider that a danger which is past is a danger that may be neglected. Yet ere she descended, she looked again on the world of jet and silver that dozed about her, and she spied a red glimmer among distant trees, there's no danger where there is light, she said, and she thereupon came from the tree and ran in the direction that she had noted. In a spot between three great oaks, she came upon a man who was roasting a wild boar over a fire. She saluted this youth and sat beside him, but after the first glance and greeting, he did not look at her again, nor did he speak. When the boar was cooked, he ate of it, and she had her share— then he arose from the fire and walked away among the trees. Beckfulla followed, feeling ruefully that something new to her experience had arrived. For, she thought, it is usual that young men should not speak to me now that I am the mate of a king, but it is very unusual that young men should not look at me. But if the young man did not look at her, she looked well at him, and what she saw pleased her so much that she had no time for further cogitation. For if Crinthen had been beautiful, this youth was ten times more beautiful. The curls on Crimthen's head had been indeed as a benediction to the queen's eye, so that she had eaten the better and slept the sounder for seeing him. But the sight of this youth left her without the desire to eat, and as for sleep, she dreaded it. For if she closed an eye, she would be robbed of the one delight in time, which was to look at this young man, and not to cease looking at him while her eye could peer or her head could remain upright. They came to an inlet of the sea, all sweet and calm under the round, silver-flooding moon, and the young man, with Beckfulla treading on his heel, stepped into a boat and rowed to a high-jutting pleasant island— there they went inland towards a vast palace, in which there was no person but themselves alone. And there the young man went to sleep, while Beckfulla sat staring at him until the unavoidable peace pressed down her eyelids, and she too slumbered. She was wakened in the morning by a great shout, Come, Flan, come out, my heart! The young man leapt from his couch, girded on his harness, and strode out, 
Three young men met him, each in battle harness, and these four advanced to meet four other men who awaited them at a little distance on the lawn. When these two sets of four fought together for every warlike courtesy, but with every warlike severity, and at the end of that combat there was but one man standing, and the other seven lay tossed in death, Beckfola spoke to the youth. Your combat has indeed been gallant, she said. Alas, he replied, if it has been a gallant deed, it has not been a good one, for my three brothers are dead and my four nephews are dead. Oh, me, cried Beckfola. Why did you fight that fight? For the lordship of this island, the Isle of Fadak, son of Dahl. But although Beckfola was moved and horrified by this battle, it was in another direction that her interests lay. Therefore, she soon asked the question which lay next to her heart. Why would you not speak to me or look at me? Until I have won the kingship of this land from all claimants, I am no match for the maid of the High King of Ireland, he replied. And that reply was like balm to the heart of Beckfola. What shall I do? She inquired radiantly. Return to your home, he counseled. I will escort you there with your maid, for she's not really dead, and when I have won my lordship, I will go seek you in Terra. You will surely come, she insisted. By my hand, quoth he, I will come. These three returned then, and at the end of a day and night, they saw far off the mighty roofs of Terra, massed in morning haze. The young man left them. And with many a backward look, and with dragging reluctant feet, Beckfola crossed the threshold of the palace, wondering what she should say to Dermid and how she could account for an absence of three days' duration. Chapter 4 It was so early that not even a bird was yet awake, and the dull gray light that came from the atmosphere enlarged and made indistinct all that one looked at, and swathed all things in a cold and livid gloom, as she trod cautiously through dim corridors, Beckfola was glad that, saving the guards, no creature was astir, and that for some time yet she need account to no person for her movements. She was glad also of a respite which would enable her to settle into her home and draw about her the composure which women feel when they are surrounded by the walls of their houses and can see about them the possessions which, by the fact of ownership, have become almost a part of their personality— Sundered from her belongings, no woman is tranquil. Her heart is not truly at ease. However, her mind may function, so that under the broad sky or in the house of another she is not the competent, precise individual which she becomes when she sees again her household in order and her domestic requirements at her hand. Beckfola pushed the door of the king's sleeping chamber and entered noiselessly. Then she sat quietly in a seat gazing on the recumbent monarch, and prepared to consider how she should advance to him when he awakened, and with what information she might stay his inquiries or reproaches. I will reproach him, she thought. I will call him a bad husband and astonish him, and he will forget everything but his own alarm and indignation. But at that moment the king lifted his head from the pillow and looked kindly at her. Her heart gave a great throb and she prepared to speak at once and in great volume before he could formulate any question. But the king spoke first, and what he said so astonished her that the explanation and reproach with which her tongue was thrilling fled from it at a stroke, and she could only sit staring and bewildered and tongue-tied. "'Well, my dear heart,' said the king, "'have you decided not to keep that engagement?' "'I... I...' Beckfulla stammered." It is truly not an hour for engagements, Dermot insisted, for not a bird of the birds has left his tree, and, he continued maliciously, the light is such that you could not see an engagement even if you met one. I, Beckfulla gasped, I, a Sunday journey, he went on, is a notoriously bad journey. No good can come from it. You can get your smocks and diadems tomorrow, but at this hour a wise person leaves engagements to the bats and the staring owls and the round-eyed creatures that prowl and sniff in the dark. Come back to the warm bed, sweet woman, and set out on your journey in the morning. Such a load of apprehension was lifted from Beckfolda's heart that she instantly did as she had been commanded, 
and such a bewilderment had yet possession of her faculties that she could not think or utter a word on any subject. Yet the thought did come into her head as she stretched in the warm gloom that Crimthan, the son of I, must now be attending her at Cluen de Chalac, and she thought of that young man as something wonderful and very ridiculous, and the fact that he was waiting for her troubled her no more than if a sheep had been waiting for her or a roadside bush. She fell asleep. Chapter 5 In the morning, as I sat at breakfast, four clerics were announced, and when they entered, the king looked on them with stern disapproval. "'What is the meaning of this journey on Sunday?' he demanded." A lank-jawed, thin-browed brother with uneasy intertwining fingers and a deep-set venomous eye was the spokesman of those four. Indeed, he said, and the fingers of his right hand strangled and did to death the fingers of his left hand. Indeed, we have transgressed by order. Explain that. We have been sent to you hurriedly by our master, Molassius of Devonish. A pious... A saintly man, the king interrupted, and one who does not countenance transgressions of the Sunday. We were ordered to tell you as follows, said the grim cleric, and he buried his fingers of his right hand in his left fist, so that one could not hope to see them resurrected again. It was the duty of one of the brothers of Devonish, he continued, to turn out the cattle this morning before the dawn of day, and that brother, while in his duty, saw eight comely young men who fought together. On the morning of Sunday, Dermot exploded. The cleric nodded with savage emphasis. On the morning of this selfsame and instant sacred day. Tell on, said the king wrathfully. The terror gripped with sudden fingers at Beckfola's heart. Do not tell horrid stories on the Sunday, she pleaded. No good can come to anyone from such a tale. Nay, this must be told, sweet lady, said the king. The cleric stared at her glumly, forbiddingly, and resumed his story at a gesture. Of these eight men, seven were killed. They are in hell, the king said gloomily. In hell they are, the cleric replied with enthusiasm. And the one that was not killed? He is alive, that cleric responded. He would be, the monarch assented. Tell your tale. Molassius had those seven miscreants buried, and he took from their unhallowed necks and from their lewd arms and from their unblessed weapons the load of two men in gold and silver treasure. Two men's load, said Dermid thoughtfully. That much, said the lean cleric. No more, no less. And he has sent us to find out what part of that hellish treasure belongs to the brothers of Devonish, and how much is the property of the king. Beckfulla again broke in, speaking graciously, regally, hastily. Let those brothers have the entire of the treasure, for it is Sunday treasure, and as such it will bring no luck to anyone. The cleric again looked at her coldly, with a harsh-lidded, small-set, gray-eyed glare, and waited for the king's reply. Dermid pondered, shaking his head as to an argument on his left side, and then nodding it again as to an argument on his right. It shall be done as the sweet queen advises. Let a reliquary be formed with cunning workmanship of that gold and silver, dated with my date and signed with my name to be in memory of my grandmother who gave birth to a lamb, to a salmon, and then to my father, the Ardri. And, as to the treasure that remains over a pastoral staff may be beaten from it in honor of Molassius, the pious man. The story is not ended said that glum, spike-chinned cleric. The king moved with jovial impatience. If you continue it, he said, it will surely come to an end sometime. A stone on a stone makes a house, dear heart, and a word on a word tells a tale. The cleric wrapped himself into himself and became lean and menacing. He whispered, Besides the young man named Flan who was not slain, there was another person present at the scene and the combat and the transgression of Sunday. Who was that person? said the alarmed monarch. The cleric spiked forward his chin and then butted forward his brow. It was the wife of the king, he shouted. It was the woman called Beckfola. It was that woman, he roared, and he extended a lean, inflexible, unending first finger at the queen. Dog! 
the king stammered, starting up. If that be in truth a woman, the cleric screamed. What do you mean? the king demanded in wrath and terror. Either she is a woman of this world to be punished, or she is a woman of the she to be banished. But this holy morning she was in the she, and her arms were about the neck of Flan. The king sank back in his chair stupefied, gazing from one to the other, and then turned an unseeing fear-dimmed eye towards Beckfola. Is this true, my pulse? he murmured. It is true, Beckfola replied and she became suddenly to the king's eye a witness and a stare. He pointed to the door. Go to your engagement, he stammered. Go to that flan. He is waiting for me, said Beckfola with proud shame, and the thought that he should wait rings my heart. She went out from the palace then. She went away from Terra and in all Ireland, and in the world of living men she was not seen again and she was never heard of again. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week to hear J.L. Castin's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.